from the, all right. If you, you know, freeze frame on these faces, what's happening right now inside of their little minds with their really mean parents is uh, what psychologists call disequilibrium. It means what you're expecting isn't what you got and your mind is kind of racing because it's not, it doesn't fit anywhere. So that's the reaction of disequilibrium. Go to the next one. Same thing here. It's kind of like, you know, sometimes when we think things aren't expected, the one on the right kind of looks just kind of like pondering confusion, like I don't get Sue. And the one on the left, sometimes when things happen unexpected, we can get a little angry, right? And the next one is just the next part of this one where he's like, oh, you know. And, but unexpected things generate those kind of reactions from us. These kids are open unexpected Christmas presents. In this case, they're all presents they wouldn't want. And so there's a variety of reactions from confusion to um, anger and then to the kid with the potato who must just be clueless <laughs> about, about what's going on there. So, but here's the question. Um, how do you respond when God does something unexpected in your life? How do you respond when you open something up, so to speak, and it's an unexpected thing that God's done? Now, please understand, I'm not saying God is not a disciple of Jimmy Kimmel. He doesn't give us bad things just to see how we react and then get a good laugh out of it. But sometimes... I'll restate that. Many times, often, God does unexpected things in our lives. And he does unexpected things, and it causes us some degree of disequilibrium, dissonance, confusion, sometimes anger, but always, always, always for our own good, for our joy, and for what he's about to do in a supernatural way. We've been doing a series where I just started a few weeks ago, and it's called Good News of Great Joy, you know, for ordinary people like us. This is the message of Christmas. The word, you know, great joy shows up a number of times in all the different Christmas stories. And what we're going to look at today is the good news of great joy that's proclaimed to the shepherds um, on the night of G Jesus' birth. And we're going to see how it was quite unexpected what happened. And again, asking ourselves, how do we respond when God does things in unexpected ways. So when we talk about the shepherds, typically when you think shepherds, Christmas, you might go to Charlie Brown Christmas where they have the towels around their head and the little ropes. Or you might think of times maybe you were in a kid's musical in school or in your church and you wore a bathrobe and had a staff or whatever. And we have all these, or think of precious moments, shepherds that are kind of plump and cheery-faced and everything. But we have all these perceptions of what the shepherds were like that are often cute, but actually quite misinformed. So before I read the passage, let me tell you a bit about shepherds in that day and age and their reputation. Because I think if you understand shepherds and the reputation of that time, you will see the shepherds are a very, very, very unexpected part of any kind of story where Jesus shows up. And again, so you see right from the very beginning when Jesus shows up, God's doing things in unexpected ways. So if he did it from the beginning when Jesus shows up, then whenever Jesus is about to show up in your or my life in significant ways, we can expect the unexpected. Because God does that, not because he loves our reaction, because he does it because he doesn't, God doesn't work with our expectations. The word Advent, this is the season of Advent, literally, literally means expectation, anticipation. So this is the Advent season. So it's not just to remind us, like Dan was saying, about all the holiday stuff. But it's reminded us, how, do we, how, do, how are we to expect God to work in our lives? 
and what do we do and we expect over here and then God does something over here and how do we respond? Let me tell you a little about the shepherds in that day. And this is from ancient documents that were non-biblical sources, but these were all kind of, uh, they're perceived, they're accurate you know, documents from historians in that time. One particular ancient document listed the top 10, David Letterman of the first century, the top 10 list of despised occupations, right? Uh, on that list was a dung collector, a camel driver, a butcher, a pigeon trainer, which I have no idea what's wrong with that, but gamblers and shepherds. So they made the top 10 list of if you, these occupations were despised people. Here's some other things that were said about shepherds. Those days. They were seen as despised. They were seen as untrustworthy. If you were a shepherd, your testimony was not allowed in a court of law in that culture. It was just like tax collectors. It was seen, you were seen as, at your core, a dishonest person. So they were seen as untrustworthy. They had no civil rights. They had the same legal footing as a Gentile slave. All right, so they were despised. They were untrustworthy. They were, they were seen as strange. Most of them were teenage boys or young adult men, often perceived as being somewhat perverts. So they were odd. They were unclean from the religious point of view. They were in the same category as crippled, blind, sick, demon-possessed, tax collectors, and lepers. They were labeled as sinners, officially labeled as sinners by the religious elite, the Pharisees of those days. And it was actually said in one ancient document for for uh, shepherds, repentance is really hard. In other words, people like shepherds and tax collectors, it's hard for them to repent. They're just so far from God. They were also seen as uh, hostile. It was assumed that when they were grazing their sheep, they would often not pay attention to boundaries, and they would graze their sheep on somebody else's land, get in, you know, get in a fight about it, pick a fight, have a fight, be really hostile about it. So they had that reputation. They were seen as dishonest. If you were a religious person, you were forbidden to buy anything from a shepherd, wool, milk, anything, because your assumption was it must be stolen. So they were seen as dishonest. They were seen as uh, irresponsible, incompetent. Uh, they often didn't protect their flocks. Their employers would get mad at them because they'd let their flocks get taken over by wild animals or things like that. They were part of the lower class. They were poor. It was actually said... For a religious person, if a shepherd fell into a pit, you were no, under no obligation to rescue them. They, had, they were low on the social ladder. They were low on the religious ladder. Right? And to top it all off, the reputation was they, really, they stunk. They were smelly. No showers out in the field. They're working with dirty sheep. So... They were despised, untrustworthy, strange, unclean, hostile, dishonest, irresponsible, incompetent, and smelly. And these are the people that show up in the Christmas story. So now I'm going to be reading the Christmas story. We'll have it on the screen up here. And I think when you read it now, the fact that shepherds show up in there should shock you a bit. It did for the original, there were the readers of that culture. But let's just go ahead and read this. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby. That night there were smelly, stinky, incompetent, perceived to be dishonest, weird shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. The word actually in the, in the original language is they were literally mega afraid. It's literally mega 
phobos, phobia. They were mega afraid. They were terrified because they didn't know what was going on. I, can you imagine what that would be like to have something all of a sudden appear? We don't, we don't exactly know what angels look like. We do know they must have garnered some kind of fear because whenever angels spoke to somebody and showed up, they would always say, fear not. So if you think of Clarence on It's a Wonderful Life or all the you know, angels that show up in TV shows that are usually kind of fat and cheery and plumpy, and it seems like the angels in the Bible must have had more of an awesome appearance because they weren't just terrified that something showed up. They were terrified because something about that angel was awe-inspiring. So they were terrified. Next one. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy. The word there literally is mega joy. They were mega terrified. The angel said, no, no, don't, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of mega joy that will be to all people. We've talked about this before. Our, one, of our, one of our things we want to see at Exodus, we want to see you and I become, be turned into the kind of people that experience abnormally joyful lives. We become abnormally joyful followers of Jesus. Mega joyful followers of Jesus. Because that's from the very beginning, the message of Jesus was mega joy, abnormal joy. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Let me stop here for a second. When you think Bethlehem, the city of Bethlehem was probably no bigger than the, than the boundaries of campus. It was a small, small village outside of Jerusalem. So it wasn't like a big town. It was like this small, small village. So the angel says, that's where you're going to find him. Go to the next slide. Suddenly, <coughs> the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven. And there again, often trans er earlier translations would translate that as the heavenly host. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, the heavenly host simply was a choir, an angel, angel choir and a choir loft with nice robes on and cheery faces. But a better translation, a more accurate translation is it is the armies of heaven, which puts a different feel on all these angels appearing. The armies of heaven appeared, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom with God is pleased. Go to the next one. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village. What's interesting here, again, they were low on the social and spiritual ladder, but immediate obedience. They, they hurried. They went right away to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about the child. Now stop there for a second. Think about that. The shepherds are telling everybody, the shepherds who were not allowed to testify in a court of law, the shepherds who were seen as dishonest and incompetent and strange and perverted, the shepherds were the first ones to tell everybody about what had happened. Isn't God funny? To choose the shepherds to be the first messengers of the good news? When the culture says, no, 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 these people are way down here. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. 
I don't know if they were astonished because the story was about invisible beings, angels showing up and the Messiah being born. That may have been part of their astonishment. They may have been astonished because it was the shepherds that were telling them. And they may have been like, really? But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. So here you have uh, these shepherds. Really unexpected participants in the Christmas story. If you or I were first century Jews and we were writing up how we thought the Messiah ought to show up, shepherds would have not even been on our list to include in the script. Not at all. Would make no sense. So whenever you read a story, the Bible, and this time we're talking about the Christmas story, it's always really good to ask questions. Because sometimes we read these stories, we've heard these stories over and over and over again, that we kind of just hear it like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 shepherd, glory to God, wah, 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 Mary, Jesus, Joseph, wah. But if you step back and read it, and then ask questions. Here's some of the questions I asked when I read this passage. How many shepherds were there? What were their names? Did they like what they did? Did they like each other? Did they fit the reputation of what shepherds were like, or were a couple of them maybe good men? Did they wake up that morning hating their jobs? Did they wake up with any, any, any expectation that God would do something remotely unusual that day in their lives? Or was it just like any other day? What was it like to see an angel? And we, we believe this happened. Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Luke was a physician. So we believe that Luke's account, because physicians are very trained to be very detail-oriented, Luke's account, we have confidence in being very detail-oriented and factual because he researched this. What was it like to see an angel? I mean, which one saw it first? Did they all see it at the same time? Were some of them sleeping and they all had to be woken up? What's it like to feel terrified? Were they, I mean, were they just, were they kind of freaking out? Were they, what was it like to feel terrified? What was it like to hear an army of angels praising God? It must have been an overwhelming sound, like louder than a train or a jet engine, just kind of like, wow. Did they all go to Bethlehem? Or did somebody step back and take care of the sheep? Or did they just abandon the sheep? Take the sheep with them? I mean, again, these are questions you think, well, they have no relevance. But it's always good to ask the questions. Which one said, let's go to Bethlehem? Or did they all say right away, we've got to go? How long did it take for them to get to Bethlehem? How long did it take them to find Mary and Joseph in the manger? Again, I told you Bethlehem was a small area, so they might have found them pretty quickly. But we just don't know all those questions. What kind of reaction did they get when Mary, from Mary and Joseph when they showed up? Were Mary and Joseph like, what are you doing here? Well, this angel told us you guys would be here. I mean, were Mary and Joseph like, well, nothing surprises us anymore. We had angels talk to us too. Come on in. I, we don't know. What was that interaction like? Were the shepherds nervous? I mean, when they were going to Bethlehem, were they even saying to each other, did we really see that? I mean, this is kind of weird, guys. What were you guys smoking out in the field tonight? Were we all 
You know, was that bad alcohol we had? What, you know, what was the people's reaction when the shepherds told them? Were they really astonished at the news or were they astonished that shepherds were the one telling them? Because again, very unreliable. Because this story, whether it was the story or the fact that shepherds were the one telling it, was incredible, absurd, far-fetched, implausible, impossible, improbable, inconceivable, outlandish, preposterous, ridiculous, unbelievable, unimaginable. All the above on this first night. But the biggest question I ask in this passage, and you've got a sense of it already, is why in the world did God tell the shepherds first? I mean, if you and I were writing the story, I'd at least have him tell some good people like a priest, a really good priest. Maybe, maybe a Pharisee that was a good Pharisee, not the arrogant ones, maybe a good man. Or maybe tell the innkeeper, or maybe tell, you know, maybe tell the people who can make a really good website in Jerusalem so they can get it up really fast on the web and say, hey, here's what's going on, people. Maybe tell, you know, the newspaper guy. But shepherds, what does that tell us about God that shepherds show up in this story as primary characters? and primary messengers of the arrival of Jesus. What does that tell us about God, and what, what must God be like? Go to a slide with a box on it, Steph. This is your box. I have a box. You have a box. All of God's children have a box. The box represents, inside that box, are your expectations about how God is supposed to do things. You might say, oh, no, I don't have, but we all do. We're all human. We have a certain boundary with which we think God should work. So when you think about a problem you may be having right now or a challenge you might be having right now in your financial world and with your job, with your marriage, with your mom, with your dad, with your son, with your daughter, or just decision you have to make in the future or some issue that nobody else knows in your life that you're trying to kind of figure out how God's supposed to set you free and get you out of that situation and make you abnormally loving, joyful, and courageous, or whatever issue it is that you're really wanting Jesus to show up in. Whether you want to admit it or not, whether I want to admit it or not, I have a certain way in which I think God is supposed to do that. And I will look for that to happen because I'm expecting God to do it that way because it's the way I think it ought to happen. It will match my comfort level. It will ma match my expectation level. It will match the timeline through which I think things should happen. And I really think God needs to be able to pay attention to what we want to happen because I'd be more responsive if he just did it my way. So we all have a box of how God works. But here's the reality of Scripture is that God loves the color outside your box. You show me any significant story in the account of the Bible, and I will show you, or you will be able to see for yourself, how God worked outside of the expectations of the day. Even the expectations of godly, good people, that God's coloring outside the box. See, because if you don't like surprises, you don't want to follow Jesus. And I'm not saying that in a goofy way. I'm simply saying... If you don't like surprises, then don't follow Jesus. If you want to have things that are mapped out, controlled, predictable, and congruent to your own understanding, then you don't want to follow Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't do that. 
Jesus, as the exact representation of God, joins God in coloring outside the box all the time. Multiple colors, multiple ways, in multiple ways that will throw you and me for loops. So if if the beginning story of Jesus, I mean, we didn't even talk about Mary and, uh, and, you know, being pregnant without having sex and dreams and Joseph and all. We didn't even talk about that. That's enough surprising, shocking, outside-the-box stuff. Then you throw in there the shepherds, more surprising, outside-the-box, shocking stuff. And you see that the Christmas story is incredibly outside-the-box, shocking, beyond our expectations, outside of our Advent box. And if that's the way Jesus first came onto the scene, it would make sense that's how Jesus is always acting and showing up in our lives. He loves to show up in our lives that way. And the message of the angel was, this is, this is a message of great joy that will be to all people. So could I, could I assert that perhaps the pathway to great joy will always, if not more often than not, go outside your expectation box? You think, I think, joy will come in a certain way, but it has to be within my lines. I might expand my box a little bit if God wants me to, but God, stay in my lines, please because I know what I think joy looks like. The message of the gospel is it's a message of great joy and peace for people like us, not just joy in a global sense or peace in the world, but the kind of peace so you can sleep at night, the kind of peace that drives out anxiety, the kind of joy that controls you even though things around you fall apart, there's still contentment in you, It's a peace and joy that are supernatural and that are meant for ordinary people like you and me. But that's the message of the gospel. But if you you expect God to do it your way, I'm not saying God won't do it. He'll just do it a different way. And if you're not ready to be surprised and shocked and taken aback, you might miss it. So here's the... I'm going to encourage you to pray a prayer, and this is a prayer that is three words long. And it's a prayer that you can do when you're driving in your car, when you're getting ready in the morning. If you're like me, you could probably make a song out of it and sing it in your shower. But simply this prayer, Jesus, surprise me. Amen. So if you don't have a prayer life, if you don't have a regular habit of praying, I'll give you this 15-second-a-day challenge. Maybe you could do it in nine. I don't know. You could do it shorter. But would you be willing to even ask Jesus to surprise you this week, this month, and be ready that the surprise might bring you a reaction right away that doesn't feel like joy? It may be mega-terrified. Again, God is not, he's not like, God is not like Jimmy Kimmel. He's not going to do something to make you mad just to see if you can take it and then upload the video to, you know, God makes me mad, whatever. But you will have all kinds of reactions and be ready for it if God works out the box. Be ready for being even angry, upset. Be ready to be joyful. Be ready to be excited. Be ready to be surprised in an exhilarating way. Be ready to be terrified. Be ready for all kinds of emotional possibilities because that's what God does, whether it's when Jesus shows up here 
or every time when Jesus started doing things in the New Testament in the lives of people because Jesus said he came to set people free. He came to bring us joy. He came to bring us a full kind of abundant, satisfying life. But he, has, he will do it his way. So, And I'm convinced that if Jesus knows we're open to being surprised, and I don't mean simply like surprise me with $5, but if he knows we're open, because when you say surprise me, you're simply saying to Jesus, your way, not my way. Your way, not my way. I think when Jesus hears that, he loves to go to work in your life. If he thinks you're going to be like this or like this, if he works outside your box, I'm not even sure if Jesus will do anything until he knows that you're willing to at least to look outside your box or hear outside your box. So again, my challenge is simply to ask you to pray this prayer this way. Jesus, surprise me. And expect him to surprise you. Uh, look for ways where he's going to show up. Look for things that catch you off guard. And look for the pathway of great joy that he says will be for all people including people like you and me in Bloomington and Ellettsville and towns like that. So let's pray. Let me just do this. I'm gonna, on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you, if you feel comfortable doing so, only as loud for you to hear it, simply to say, Jesus surprised me. So it's a prayer. If you don't feel like you want to say that, that's okay. Nobody will know you're not saying it because they're saying it themselves or whatever. So only for loud for you to say it. And just to, just to start off the habit this week of asking, saying that prayer. So on one, two, three, I just want you to say, only loud for you to hear it. Jesus surprised me. All right? One, two, three. Jesus, you've just heard our prayers. And we believe what Scripture says is, the prayers of your people are like incense to you. So in whatever way this happens, our prayers have just risen up to you and I believe have given you great pleasure because we're expressing an openness, fear, yes, but an openness for you to do things in our lives that we don't expect. And we want to be willing respondents just like the shepherds were, just like Mary was, just like Joseph was willing respondents respond quickly and obediently when you do something that causes us an unexpected kind of shock. But we also know and trust that you're good and that you um, desire most of all for us is our freedom, our joy, and that we be alive, awake, and free. So surprise us and um, help us to see it. And we ask this all in your name. Amen.